last Sunday was, was off the charts. And uh, in this room, the Spirit of God in this room was incredible and powerful. And uh, every baptism, we, had, we baptized 10 people. And... Uh, A baptism for a pastor is like lifting the Stanley Cup over your head, only, only better. It really is. And uh, the Spirit of God in this room was intense. And I, for me, I just love seeing people out on, down on the lawn at Marysville Center, out sitting in the grass, eating Dave's burgers and hot dogs and stuff like that. Because um, we, we had talked about being an Acts 2 church, and then we were. And Acts 2 Church, we literally did that. Uh, so, wow, it was one of those Sundays where I was just flying high as a pastor. And then yesterday, I get to town and I'm walking downtown towards Johnny Java. And uh, I hear someone say, Pastor. And I look and it's Misha Brueger-Gosman. Um, most of you would know Misha. If you don't, Wikipedia can tell you who she is. And last Sunday, we dedicated Misha's niece, and we baptized Misha's husband and her son. So it was a big day last Sunday in the Gosman family. So she was at, they were at Johnny Java getting some supplies before. They were just getting on the road to drive back to Toronto. And so she calls across the street to her husband, Stephen, who I baptized. He comes running across the street. He gives me a big hug. The kids come flying out of the car. They give me a big hug. Mama Gosman's there, and we're having revival downtown Fredericton. It's just, it's just awesome. We were just, just, just saying, you know, isn't God good? Wasn't that awesome? Like, just, just going over it again and uh, thanking God. And, and I told them, you know, I said, I had my backpack on, and I said, look, I'm, I'm coming downtown to finish my sermon, which I do every Saturday. And I said, this is exactly what I needed to, uh, the fire that I needed to go into Sunday morning again at Cross Point. And uh, so here we are. You ready? Four of you. Okay. <laughs> I've, been, I've been looking forward to leaving my past behind, my past and my past. I've been, Tim Guptill, me, I've been looking forward to this Sunday, and leaving my past in my past. I've been looking forward to that because I knew this day was coming. I knew this text was coming. It's been on my calendar, and chains are going to fall in this room today. There are things, there are things that I, now I'm a pastor. There are things that I have been dragging into my future and this is the day that those chains come off in the name of Jesus. And I walk free into my God-given future and identity. And hopefully that'll be true for many of you today. It was in the first service. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're watching. And uh, I hope that today is the day when chains fall off in your life as well. Like we've been saying in this series, some of these things in my life, are my own fault. They're, they're Tim Guptill's fault. I got no one else to blame. They were my decisions. They were my mistakes. And, and, and for a lot of reasons, I've been dragging them um, around. 
I've got no one to blame. You make your decisions, and your decisions make you. And some of these chains and some of these, this junk um, were brought into my life by the decisions of others, other people. Sometimes, um, sometimes the people closest to you will push you into a pit or prison or whatever. But you are not created to be a pit person. Good morning. Welcome to Crosspoint. Um, we're glad you're here. You, my friends, you, listen, you, you are not created to be a pit person. You are a child of the king. And so today, we tell the pit pushers and the pharaohs and the past that it no longer has a hold on me. We don't know her name. And so we've always referred to her as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. And if you know the story from John chapter 4, you're, you're immediately thinking, oh yeah, she's that woman who had, you know, 17 husbands or whatever it was. Like you remember that part of the story. That's, that's who she was. We think of her as the woman with the, with the shady past or whatever. And we, sh we should think of her as the woman with the bright future. Like, why do we label her by her past? Why don't we think of her as the woman with the bright future, the woman who met Jesus and was never the same again? And when John tells us the story, it's in, it's in John chapter 4. John gives us um, cultural clues that he drops into the story that... Uh, that would have been jaw-dropping to the first people who heard or read this. Like when, they, when the first group of people received a letter from John and they gathered together and someone unrolled the scroll that would have been rolled up and somebody unrolled it and started reading John, this part of the letter out loud, there are things that John put in this story that would have been jaw-dropping. People would have been say, what? Jesus did what? He was where? Like, it just would have been, are you kidding me that this, that, that this happened? But we don't get the nuance of all that in English. English is flat, and we just don't, we just don't get all of that same um, feel. And we certainly don't understand first century Judean culture unless we dig a little deeper, which we're going to do. In verse 4 of John 4, John wants us to know that Jesus had to go through Samaria on his way north. He's traveling north from Jerusalem up to Galilee, and John says he had to go through Samaria. No, he didn't. He, he didn't have to go. Like, there's, like I come, when I come from Graham and Ann to Fredericton, I take the highway, but I don't have to. I could go through Harvey, right? There's, and John wants you to know that he had to go through Samaria. But when the first people are hearing this, they're thinking, no. No, what do you mean he had? No, he didn't. We, we go around Samaria all the time. Like, I, anytime I'm going to Galilee, I don't go through Samaria. I go, whoop. I go, I go around it. It's a little longer, but worth it. 
Jesus didn't have to go. So what did John mean when he says Jesus had to go? For several centuries, generations, there was racial, ethnic, and political hatred between Jews and Samaritans. And yes, you could go through through Samaria. You could. But you risked coming in contact with those people and catching their cooties. The pastors just say cooties. And you might touch something that, that a Samaritan has touched and, and then you become unclean and then you gotta go through all the ceremony of becoming clean again and you can't worship and you can't eat when you're unclean. You can't touch anything and nobody can touch you. And no, I'm not going through Samaria. I'm going, whoop, I'm going around Samaria. So Jews often took the longer route. So what was going on? Did Jesus have a divine appointment that day? And could this be your divine appointment today? Yeah, it could. It could. And you are at the well. And you are at the well. And Jesus is here. And you could have a divine appointment with him, with him today. We know that Jesus loved to walk towards the messes. Like if you knew this woman was going to be there and you knew her story, you know, I mean, would you wait for her to get her water and leave, right? Like, like me personally, I, by nature, I tend to avoid the messes of life, right? It's just, it's just, it's just nature. And, uh, but by nature, Jesus chooses to walk towards the mess, I'm glad he came towards Tim Guptill's mess. I'm glad that Jesus didn't avoid my mess. And, uh, and, and I was able to, to meet him face to face. And he will walk towards the mess today. And so the good news is, if you came here with junk and stuff and a past and all that and mess, Jesus is going to walk right towards the mess. And, and this is who he, who he is. This is what God this is what God does. Wow. When you love the least of these, when you walk towards the messy places of life, uh, you're being most like Jesus. One of my favorite stories in scripture is Jesus and Matthew, the hated tax collector. And, and, and he was marginalized and ostracized by his community. Everybody hated him. And Jesus walks right up to him and calls him by name. And, and Matthew is so taken by this person who would do this that Matthew says, would you come over to my house and I'm going to invite the worst sinners I know and we're going to have a sinner's party and all the sinners and Jesus. Now, I don't know how long it's been since you've had a sinner's party at your house with Jesus. And Matthew invited the sinniest sinners that he could find in his community. And see, Jesus walks towards the messes. This is, this is who he is. Continuing with his clues, John says it was noontime in Sychar, uh, S-Y-C-H-A-R, which is modern day, Askar, A-S-K-A-R. A-S-K-A-R, it's a real place. And Jacob's well is there, and the burial site of Joseph is there. Now, if, you've, if you're still struggling with whether or not th- this book is true, accurate, a bunch of old stories, like if you're not sure about this book, you can visit, you can go 
to this site in John chapter 4, and you can stand at Jacob's well that has been there forever, and everyone knows it's Jacob's well, and the burial site of Joseph is a few hundred meters away. These are real people from real places. You can go there and you can see this for yourself. There's, no, there's not a credible archaeologist who would, who would say, oh, no, 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 that's not there. You can go there and see it. It's like the mill in Marysville. It's still there. These are real people. John is a real person who wrote truth in his letter. And his letter um, is a part of this book of letters because when he wrote it and it was first distributed and copied by scribes, there were eyewitnesses who said, yeah, yeah, that's how it happened. And then the, the early uh, church leaders made it a part of scripture because it lined up with the events that everyone knew were true. This is how it happened. That's how we arrived at this, at this scripture. She shouldn't have been there. She shouldn't have been at the well in the noonday heat and she should not have been there all alone. Why is she not there early in the morning with all the other women? It's not safe for a woman to be alone outside the village, out to the well in the noonday heat. It's much cooler in the morning. She should have been a part of the Ladies of Sychar Morning Water Group. Right, you know, you can picture this. You can picture the women of that village early every morning going out to the well together and drawing their daily water and bringing it back into their homes, back into the village for their needs for the day. And she is not a part of that group. John is telling us she's not wanted. Either her decisions or the decisions of others have labeled her and she... She is an outcast. She's not a part of the in-group. So she comes to draw her daily water, and waiting for her is a tired and thirsty Messiah. Now, Jesus does not need to be tired. He's God. He doesn't need to be thirsty. Jesus can draw water for himself. Jesus can make water for himself. Okay? He doesn't need to be tired and thirsty, but he's familiar with her struggles and our struggles, and on this day, he's tired and thirsty. He knows that life is hard, and, and we get weary. We get tired. We get thirsty, and we're all looking for something or someone who can complete us and fill us and make sense of this thing that that we call life. And so Jesus speaks to her and immediately she just starts stacking bricks. Not today, not today, not going there. Which is where some of you went a little while ago when I said, you're at the well today and, and today could be your day. And some of you went like, no, 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 no. Change the channel, change the channel. No, we're not going there. Not going there, Jesus. And this is what she does. She gets defensive. Why are you, a Jew, speaking to me, a Samaritan? Why are you, a man, speaking to me, a woman? And if you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been hurt, we all have. You, 
you, after a while, you fortress, you, start, you find ways to protect yourself. You have your defenses up. A strange man at the well at noon, what are his intentions? What does he want? And she would have a lifetime of reasons to ignore Jesus, to not acknowledge Jesus. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. We're just not going there today. So at first, all she sees are the obstacles. She thinks that Jesus, she thinks, because Jesus is a Jew, that he, he's not drawn water for himself because if he touches the rope or if he touches the bucket, he will become unclean. He, she thinks that, that the clean Jew wants the dirty Samaritan to draw the water. Do you get that? She doesn't know. She doesn't know that anything that, that Jesus touches becomes clean. When Jesus touches your life, you become clean. When Jesus touches your past, your hurt, your pain, when Jesus touches, if Jesus touches it this morning, it's, it, is, it is clean. Jesus hints at his identity in verse 10. And he says to her, if you knew what God had for you, and if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask and you would receive living water. The conversation goes on. It's, it's a long one. We can't, we can't obviously look at every verse. But as they talk, Jesus, as, as this conversation unfolds, Jesus is, is opening her eyes to who he is. He's breaking down all the, the, the massive barriers, social, religious, all those barriers. He's breaking them down. And, and her walls, her defenses. The Messiah is slowly being revealed as they talk about life and religion. And when she asks Jesus for this living water, things go to a whole, a whole nother level. Now, when Jesus mentions or reminds her of her past, this is important. It's not to embarrass her. It's to heal her. There are things in your past and in my past that are, that are they're like thorns. They've got to be brought out to the surface in order for us to be healed. You know this to be true. You, you know that pushing junk down in your life and, and just trying to pretend it's not there doesn't fix anything. This is this. You know that. I'll just keep pushing it down, pushing it down. It, it, just, it just festers and, and it just becomes worse. So Jesus is bringing those things to the surface. And again, I know he's here. He's doing this right now in your life. And, you're, and you might be thinking, not today, Jesus, down, 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 down. Like we're, not, we're not going there. Our kids used to have a, a game called Whack-A-Mole. Anybody have whack-a-mole? It's this box thing, and it probably had like nine holes in it, and there was a mole inside there, and you had this big hammer in your hand. And you never knew where the mole was going to stick up its head. And so you just looked at this thing, and he'd pop it up, bam! And he'd come over there, bam! And you whack-a-mole, whack, whack! 
and you had to get quicker and quicker and quicker and all that. And you, it was wonderful. It was, a, it was the best game ever for getting, you know, getting out frustration. And you could, you could name one, you could name that mole a particular person, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you stick up your head, bam, you're getting whacked. Oh, that feels so good. It feels so good. Best toy ever. I can't explain why, but things from my past will, will, will pop up. They'll st it'll stick up its ugly head. Things that I don't want, I don't, I don't bam, I don't want to see you. And um, things that I want to forget, things that I've tried to forget, things that I've taken to the cross. And for the most part, when those things pop up in my life, I hit them. I hit them with the word of God. I hit them with the blood of Jesus. I hit them with the cross of Jesus. And I just say, not today, Satan. We're not going there. And I, and I whack them. As soon as it sticks its head up, no, sir, not. Wham! Get out of here. I don't live there anymore. Those things are covered by the blood. They're removed by grace. And when God sees me, when God looks at, at me, he does not see those things. He sees me as a redeemed child of God. He sees me through the blood and the, and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. He sees me washed and atoned. He sees me through the cross. And yet, because of this thing up here, it's, it's this thing up here, like it can't be explained. There are things that I want to remember that I can't. And there are things that I want to forget that I, that I remember, right? And uh, it's just... It's just it's just the way it is. Jesus wants to deal with her past so he can give her her future. He wants to deal with her past so he can give her her future. I, that's a good deal. You'll never get a better offer than grace. She's had five husbands and isn't married to the man she's living with now. Hey, don't judge her. Her sin is no worse than yours. And in verse 19, she changes the subject, and I probably would too, <laughs> right? Like, can we not talk about that? Can we talk about something else? And so she tries to move the topic from the husbands to, well, what about worship? Hey, what about worship? She, she makes it about church and religion. And, and it just reminds me of times in my own life when, when God speaks to me about something, I say, well, yeah, but well, what about them? What about that person? What about, what about, hey, 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 God, hey, God, what about, what about, uh, and I, you know, try changing the channel, changing the subject. And Jesus doesn't dwell on her past. Like we said earlier, um, we've labeled her as that woman. He's not there to preach at her about all of her mistakes. And he's definitely not there to quibble with her over petty worship issues. He's there to help her see who he is, her future begins when she knows that she has seen the Messiah, when she knows that she's seen Jesus. That's when her future begins. So it's John 4. That's all the introduction. Um, John 4. Uh, I'm in the wrong text. 
I'm in Acts 2. That was last week. John chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? But none of them had the nerve to ask. Smart. That was smart. None of them had the nerve to ask, what do you, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar, her past, beside the well, and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And then down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe. Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we've heard him ourselves. And now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. In an instant, gang, When Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah, in an instant, something in her heart just changes, just like God flips the switch. His revelation is for her transformation. When you see who Jesus is, everything changes, and literally, her world will never be the same again. She leaves behind her water jar. She leaves behind way more than her water jar. She leaves behind her past like the prodigal son. She just gets up and starts running towards the father straight into her future because she has met Jesus. The woman who was at the well at noon to avoid her past, to avoid all the other women. Remember, she wasn't invited in the morning. This woman who had been been cast aside by by society, who was alone at the well at noon, she's a new person. She runs straight back into the community to tell everyone what was happened. Only Jesus can make that kind of change in a person's life. Now, the well would have been just outside the village. And going to the well that day is another reminder to her that she does not belong. It's another reminder to her of the the price of her sin, the weight of her past. Here I am alone. I'm not a part of, of my community. So she went to the well towing years of disappointments and pain and the sneering and the rolled eyes and the scoffing of her community. But she drops the well. She forgets about it. She goes running back into town, uh, illuminated in the love of Jesus, glowing in the grace of Jesus. You've got to meet this man. You've got to meet this man who I just met. Wow. And like us, like, like Tim Guptill, 
She deserved judgment. And like us, she received mercy. Your past is not your identity. One look into the face of Jesus. When, she's, when Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah, one look into the face of Jesus and you can run straight into your future proclaiming the good news of what God has done. You can, you, you can walk out of here this morning, but you don't have to. You can run. You can run out of those doors. You know, just proclaiming to everyone what God has done. I went to church. I went to the well, and I was dragging these things and this stuff and this junk and this garbage in my life and all this stuff. And Jesus met me at the well on a Sunday morning in Marysville. And, and he, I looked into his face, and it was all gone in an instant. And now I'm a changed person. I'm a new person. I'm running free. And, and you can, look, we've said this in this series. I mean, you can go back into your week and people say, what in the world has gotten into you? And you say, Jesus. And they say, no, 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 me. Have you lost weight? He said, no, no, I've been eating everything all summer long. It's not that. It's Jesus. And well, maybe you got some sun, you know, where you've been out in the sun. No, it's not that. It's Jesus. I'm telling you, I went to the well and I met the Messiah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Now, I've known that this, this text and this day was coming and so I've known for a long time that chains were gonna fall in my life on this morning. It's been on my calendar. And I said, okay, God, Sunday morning, that's when, that's when I'm going to surrender. I'm going to, um, I'm going to trust you with a bunch of stuff, heavy stuff that I've been trying to drag into my future. And it's, your past is not your identity, gang. Your, your future is freedom in Jesus' name. You, you are, not meant, you are you're not meant for a pit. You're meant for a palace. You're a child of the king. You're a child of the king. There are index cards in every, in every chair and, and pens. And, um, and this is a shredder that might be unplugged. And um, I know before the first service, I had to take a pen and I had to write down some stuff, and it was not easy, okay? So I don't, I don't stand here saying, oh, this is a piece of cake. I stand here saying, this, this is hard. Um, but like, like removing a thorn, it's so worth it, isn't it? You get that junk out of your life. 
And um, so go ahead and take this out. Writing it down is an act of obedience and faith. And putting it through the shredder, your act of, of getting up and walking up here and putting this through the shredder There it goes. Is literally giving it to Jesus. The shredder, it's already full of junk from the first service. And it's going to get a lot more stuff. Giving it to Jesus. Um, past, you have no power over me. You have no place in my life. It has all been covered by the blood of Jesus. And today is the day that I, I drop everything and I run straight into my future, free in the name of Jesus. You, um, you wouldn't put something in the shredder and change your mind and try to get it back out, would you? Would you? Your new nickname would be Stubby. Once it goes in the shredder, gang, it's gone. And leave it at the cross. Leave it with Jesus. And because this thing is what it is, there will be times when you will remember things you don't want to remember. And what do you do? Whack-a-mole. Hit it. Hit it with scripture. Hit it with prayer. Hit it with whatever you need to hit it. Hit it with the name of Jesus. Hit it. Um, in the future, if you want, if something keeps popping up, write it down. Put that thing in the shredder and say, you are gone. In the name of Jesus, you are gone. Walk in freedom. You were created for freedom. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful, God, that you have ordained um, this series we've been in this summer. You're so um, before us and ahead of us and preparing us. None of this is coincidence to you. And so I thank you, Lord, that your presence is here. And and would you be with those who are writing down some pretty heavy stuff? Would you give them the strength and the courage? Um, Would you just come around them and love them and help them? Uh, and, And Lord, as we leave here today, Would the enemy not have any place in our life to say that didn't happen, that wasn't real, that that the enemy would just be defeated and that this group of people would would run straight into their future, (laughs) telling everyone, I met Jesus. Come and see what God has done. In your name we pray, amen.